0: Her argument was that the Civil Rights Movement was really structured around the black church. And the black church had a huge female membership, but but like singularly male leadership. She really was not a big fan of Martin Luther King Jr. Ella criticized the organization for King's distance from the people. King was a better orator than democratic crusader, she concluded. The movement made Martin and not Martin the movement one of the quotes from Ella was you didn't see me on television you didn't see news stories about me the kind of role I tried to play was to pick up pieces or put together pieces out of which I hope organization might come my theory is strong people don't need strong leaders Well, hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I am Sarah Gorski. I'm Sam Eggers.
1: And
2: I'm Justin Xavier.
0: And I am bringing you today Ella Jo Baker. Have you guys heard of about Ella Jo Baker?
1: No.
2: But don't tell me everything.
0: <laughs> well, it's so funny because a lot of people haven't heard of her, but she is like this literal, What what's the way to describe her? She is like the reason that the civil rights movement happened she was like the ground level organizer behind the book of the civil rights movement like around Martin Luther King and all this other stuff so but she was like this like she because she was like on the ground level she wasn't the front face of it people don't know who she was so i'm super excited to talk about her today cool.
2: i'm super um, excited to learn about her
0: yes So I'll start at the beginning. Um, Ella Josephine Baker was born uh, on December 13th, 1903 in Norfolk, Virginia. Her parents worked all the time. Her uh, her grandfather had died. So she often was sitting at home listening to her grandmother, Josephine Elizabeth Bett Ross, tell all these horror stories about... Her life as a slave. So her her grandmother had been owned, and and she used to be beaten and whipped. Uh, she was beaten and whipped for refusing to marry another slave that her owner chose, oh, and all God. these other horror oh, stories God. about what it was what it was really like under slavery. And from this early age, Ella like not only absorbed these stories, but also was like looking at how life was now and kind of seeing that these injustices were still going on so from a very early age uh she really kind of had this very active view about all the injustices against black people so she goes to shaw university in raleigh north carolina she graduates with valedictorian honors she moves to new york and she gets a job as an editorial assistant for this magazine called the negro national news and then in 1931 she joins Uh, the Young Negroes Cooperative League, which is a new organization formed by George Shiler to help bolster economic growth in black communities. And very quickly, she becomes the organization's national director. So she moves up really fast. And around this time, she also marries her... Marriages. She marriages. (laughs) (laughs) She marries her college sweetheart, TJ Roberts. Um, I just want to, like, take a second to say um, one thing that has been widely reported about Ella is that she was extremely like severely private about her personal life
2: Mm. so I
0: don't have a ton of these like personal drama details like we do for some bras Um, so if it sounds dry that's why is because she was very private and she didn't leave like letters and diaries and stuff either like there's just very little like of her personal thoughts personal life out there which is interesting because she's just done so much stuff Anyway, back to, the, back to the timeline here. So she's national director at the Young Negroes Cooperative League. And at the same time, she's also working with a bunch of local organizations, including the Workers' Education Project, uh, which was part of the Works Progress Administration. That was part of FDR's New Deal. Um, and she was teaching courses in consumer education and labor history and African history. And she was also protesting italies. Itl- My
1: goodness. <laughs> Marriage is those italies.
0: She's protesting <laughs> Italy's invasion of Ethiopia and she was supporting the campaign to free the Scottsboro defendants in Alabama. She also was at this point, uh, she founded the Negro history club at the Harlem library and she went to lectures at the YWCA. She was very active, very busy. Uh, and then in 1938, she starts to get to know the NAACP and, um, I'm pretty sure most people know what the NAACP is, but it's the National Association for Advancement of Colored People. And she gets hired there as a secretary in 1940, and she moves up through the ranks pretty fast, and she starts traveling all over the country, Um, especially in the South, uh, was kind of her region. And she's recruiting members and raising money and organizing local chapters. And in 1943, she's named the Director of Branches, and she becomes the NAACP's highest-ranking woman which is a pretty big leadership position. And she was really pushing kind of this whole time for the NAACP to decentralize its leadership structure uh, because she thought it was important to aid membership uh, and activist campaigns at a more local level. So, aka grassroots. So she was really into the grassroots movement. And instead of having these like big leaders up at the top, she she wanted more focus on like what is happening locally and how to support these the smaller local groups right. So basically, what she was doing when she was traveling all around the South, she she met hundreds and hundreds of black people. She established long lasting relationships with them. She like slept in their houses and ate at their tables and she went to their churches and spoke at churches and she just really built all this trust. She wrote thank you notes and uh, to all the people that she met. And it was super, super effective in helping recruit more members for the NAACP, because she basically kind of single-handedly formed this network of civil rights warriors in the South, which kind of didn't exist already. Uh, And previously, it had been a huge... Like, the NAACP struggled to, to do that because... A lot of the leaders from the north tended to kind of come in and like speak down to all the southerners and people felt like really insulted by it. But she was like so on ground level and like hanging with people and chilling with people. um, And they loved her. So she was really able to kind of build this network out, which is really, when you think about it, friggin' amazing. So in 1944 and 1946... She is directing leadership conferences in major cities around the U.S., including Chicago and Atlanta. But like, I'm talking about like the primary organizer. Like, she's the one who's like getting it all done. She's the quote wedding coordinator for these giant <laughs> civil rights uh, conferences. But then in 1946. She takes in her niece, Jackie, who uh, the research didn't say, but her mother was just unable to care for her. And so Ella was like, "Okay, come live with me. I'll take care of you. But it also meant that it was like too difficult for her then just to travel and do the work that she was doing. So she steps down from her position and she kind of like is back in New York and she just goes back down to like volunteer level for the NAACP in her local branch in New York. And there they were focusing very specifically on school desegregation and police brutality issues. But of course she moves up even as a volunteer at the volunteer level. So she becomes the president of the local branch in 1952 and she's supervising field secretaries and coordinating the the national offices work with local groups. And still her top priorities are to kind of lessen the organization bureaucracy and to give women more power in the organization. And she really, she still thought leadership should be run more in the local fields and less by the centralized leadership. In 1953, though, she resigns from her role as president to run for the New York City Council on the Liberal Party ticket. But she doesn't win. In February of 1957, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC, is formed. That organization probably sounds a little familiar because that's uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s big organization, right? So Ella's right at the epicenter when it's founded. She's one of the primary organizers and the first event that they put on is the Prayer Pilgrimage for Freedom. And that's like this, their, the SCLC's huge debut event, and she totally rocks it. And people said of her, quote, that she straddled organizational lines, ignoring and minimizing rivalries and battles. So there's all these like petty, like nitty things happening back and forth, and people are arguing, and she navigates through it, and she pulls off a friggin' great event. And everybody's super impressed. So she's quickly hired as associate director of the SCLC, and she's the very first staff person hired. Uh, and she's working really closely now with Southern civil rights activists all across Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi. She's helping with voter registration campaigns and other local issues. Part of their like big strategy at that time was education and trying to get into churches to, to preach at the sermons um, and establishing these grassroots centers, which she's been about this whole time, stressing the importance to, of voting, and they were hoping to rely on the Civil Rights Act of 1957 to protect local voters. the The goal of the project was to double the number of black voters in the South, and it didn't quite. Uh, they didn't quite end up doing that, but it definitely laid the groundwork for strengthening the local activist centers and building mass movements for the vote across the South. But it was a really frustrating job for her because she really. It's interesting to do this research, and I'm sure that there's kind of conflicting opinions about it, but it sounds like she really was not a big fan of Martin Luther King Jr.
2: Was she more on the Malcolm X side?
0: No, I didn't read anything specific about her support of Malcolm X, although I would say probably the things I did read would align her more with him. One of the historians says that that Ella criticized the organization for its programmatic sluggishness and King's distance from the people. King was a better orator than democratic crusader, she concluded.
1: Hmm. Um, this is reminding me, just like real quick, but like, did you guys ever hear Sarah Silverman stand up where she's like, "You guys don't know the truth about Martin Luther King Jr." Have you guys heard this? No. Well, she's what? well, she's like, she's like. He was a litter bug. He would roll down the window and just put his trash out. She's like, and when she was in the car with his kids, he would just hot box them. He would fart and roll up all the windows. Like, it's just like running guys. Like, I was, when you said that, my first thought was, he was a litter bug. And I feel like now that I've said that, we're going to get hate mail that's like, he was not a litter bug. <laughs> but anyway, total, total sidebar. I'm sure he Sarah was that a Sarah Silverman.
0: Mind. Sarah Silverman. Anyway, I was able to, so it, uh, Wikipedia talks a little bit more about like why Ella kind of felt like di- like distance from King and they said that what Ella believed in what they call participatory democracy, which is a movement that has three different focuses. number 1 an appeal for grassroots involvement of people throughout society while making their own decisions. Two, the minimization of bureaucratic hierarchy and the associated emphasis on expertise and professionalism as a basis for leadership. And three, a call for direct action as an answer to fear, isolation, and intellectual detachment. Um, And one of the quotes from Ella was that, quote, You didn't see me on television. You didn't see news stories about me. The kind of role I tried to play was to pick up pieces or put together pieces out of which I hope organization might come. My theory is strong people don't need strong leaders. Oh, So she was arguing kind of against the civil rights movement being structured around, like overall it was, I guess her argument was that the civil rights movement was really structured around the black church. And the black church had a huge female membership, but but like singularly male leadership. And so she really f- was fighting against kind of this gendered hierarchy of the civil rights movement. So needless to say, she's not, she, that's not what everybody thought in the SCLC. <laughs> so they had all this huge difference in opinion and philosophy. And she was a little bit older than a lot of the young ministers she was working with. And there's a quote that she, she once said, quote, the movement made Martin and not Martin the movement and she really urged activists to take control of the movement themselves rather than rely on a leader with quote heavy feet of clay which was widely thought to be a, a direct denunciation of Martin Luther King Jr.
1: What is that what does that mean by saying he had feet of clay like just someone is moving too slowly or not progressing? That's
0: what it sounds like. Yeah, but he just wasn't like as as proactive and active at the center. Like he he was this great public face, but the groundwork that he was creating wasn't like what was really creating the actual change of the movement. Interesting. Okay,
2: that's it's interesting how many movements that's true of that you have these men who are the face who are saying all the things, and then nothing's happening unless their wives and the women around them are actually organizing and getting things done.
0: Yeah, I mean, she so like her. I think there's a there's a. Her philosophy was, quote, power to the people, right? Mm-hmm. She believed that the group force made the significant change. And it was, it's just super interesting. And this is like a huge lesson for me in the civil rights movement, as as with a lot of these broads teaching me mm-hmm. my shit about civil rights here. And as with so many movements, and I've said this before, I know I said this for Marsha P. Johnson, too, but it's always so fascinating to me to learn about these splits in, this, in, in every movement that like it's not like we sometimes hear about it as this unified voice, but that actually there's all these dissenting voices inside of it. So it's mm-hmm. super interesting to learn more about it. So anyway, she still is working for the SELC. Like she's, she's still doing a great job. Um, and in 1960, Ella persuades the SELC to invite Southern University students to the Southwide Youth Leadership Conference at Shaw University on Easter weekend. Uh, and it was a gathering of the leaders from the Montgomery, the Montgomery bus sit-in, all the sit-ins that were going on, uh, meeting with the students and to talk about their struggles and try to figure out like, what their future actions could be. Because uh, Ella really saw the potential of leadership in these like, young folks who didn't quite have organization yet. They were a little too young to like know what's what. Uh, and she really believed that they could revitalize the black freedom movement and take it in a new direction. So she, she wanted to bring everybody together and figure out a way to, to build not only build but sustain the momentum that they had and teach them all the skills and give them the resources they need to become like a more militant and democratic force. And she was kind of preaching the same message, you know, be wary of leaders, you know, leader-centered organization. And one of the students that attended this conference, Julian Bond, who later I think becomes big kind of in the the next wave of the civil rights movement, he described the speech as an eye-opener and probably the best of the conference. She didn't say, don't let Martin Luther King tell you what to do, Bond remembers, but you get the real feeling that's what she meant. Wow. Which is interesting. And then out of this conference, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee is formed, which is the SNCC, which they, everybody says SNCC is how they say it. (laughs) Uh, And it becomes the most active organization in, at least in the Mississippi Delta. Um, So these students like really activate and they're really kind of lit up by her. So, and Ella is lit up too. And she, following this conference, she resigns from the SCLC uh, and she begins to work with snick she becomes one of their adult advisors side note another one of their adult advisors was howard zinn you guys know howard zinn right i don't No. wait what no holy shit listeners holy shit all right everyone right now ought to put on their reading list the people's history of the united states of america by howard zinn his people's history is basically a retelling of American history through the side of the people who lose all the fights. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, cool! Um, so all the, the people that you think are heroes are actually the villains, and it's actually the more true version of the most true version of U.S. history that you'll ever read. So everyone ought to read it. But he also was one of their advisors. So him and Ella Baker were both advisors for SNCC. That was like a history, a history side side story.
1: Oh, sweet! I'm so I'm putting this in my cart right now
2: me too i i just typed in peoples and it was like the second thing that came up
0: <laughs> it's super dense and it's gonna have, it's gonna like blow your mind and make you sad but it's it's like good fucking reading every re- readers listeners whoever you are on the other end of the microphone <laughs> all right give it a ch- check out from the library i have a copy i can lend out i have this amazing history teacher shout out to mrs davis Uh, She made us read it in my senior year of high school history class with her. It was the first time anyone had ever said Christopher Columbus was an asshole. (laughs) Uh, Amongst many other things. It starts, I think the first chapter is Chris Columbus murdering thousands and thousands of indigenous folks. That's the first chapter. So, yeah, he's not this Nina Pinta Santa Maria hero, you know. Anyway, this is a total side note because we're talking about Ella Bagar. So in 1961, she is able to persuade SNCC to, to form two different wings, one for direct action and one for voter registration. Uh, and then working along with the Congress of Racial Equality, also called CORE, C-O-R-E, um, they coordinated the region-wide freedom rides of 1961. And they, ex- they continued to expand the grassroots movement, um, particularly amongst black sharecroppers, tenant farmers, and others in the South. So she really kept expanding those networks she already had been like on the ground creating this whole time. And she criticized the notion of a single charismatic leader of movements for social change. She wanted every person to get involved and argued that people under the heel, uh, which is the most oppressed members of any community, had to be the ones to decide what action they were going to take to get out from under their oppression.
2: I love her. This is amazing.
0: I know. Yeah, she's awesome. She's, she's- So amazing. Um, So she's a teacher and a mentor to all these young people of SNCC. I'll list off the names. I don't know how familiar people are, but um, some of the people were Julian Bond, who I quoted before, Diane Nash, Stokely Carmichael, Curtis Muhammad, Bob Moses, Bernice Johnson Reagan. That was all kind of the next wave of civil rights movement after Because on top of,
2: like, promoting this social movement and, like, we have to come together, she's also fighting against cult mentality, which is, like, just a completely separate thing from all of this, but it's everywhere.
0: Yeah, and it's a hard fight. Like, people love their celebrities at every level and that cult mentality, for sure. Which is interesting because that actually makes me think that she actually probably wouldn't be such a big fan of Malcolm X, too, because he had his yeah. own fault. Mm-hmm. I was, I was,
2: on. I was thinking that when you said she was criticizing, like, the male leadership that she was probably like, even if I align with what he's thinking, I don't like that he's like, yeah. the name and face of everything. Um,
1: I, I've never heard this, uh, sort of the feminist perspective of the civil rights movement. I've, I haven't heard this comparison of uh, civil rights movement structure being similar to that of the black church. That's. Very interesting. Because yeah, you're right. It's like oh, I guess I'd never thought that all of the leaders at that time were male yeah.
2: and preachers.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Reverend Martin Luther. King. It's like oh, it does make sense. It all tracks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, we saw a little bit of it with some of our previous broads, right? Like Ida B. Wells mm-hmm. being omitted from a bunch of the civil rights, you know, like being kind of pushed around. And even just um, Shirley Chisholm, <laughs> she also faced that like that, like that split where she wasn't supported by the dudes. And she wasn't, you know, like, it was very, you know, we kind of see this echo throughout all our, our broads and their fights. So Ella was really kind of holding up that end of it. And it seems like she kind of was doing it single-handedly. Uh, in a lot of these organizations. She's she's a huge fighter. <laughs> um, in 1964, Ella organizes, or she helps to organize the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party as an alternative to the all-white Mississippi Democratic Party. So they were really trying to kind of get m- more black voices in there and get more black leadership. Um, they went to the National Democratic Party Convention that year. Uh, and they wanted to really challenge... And affirm the rights of African Americans to participate in party elections in the South, where they were still like totally disenfranchised. And there was a huge; it caused like a huge brawl at the delegation that the the, the Democratic Convention that year. People were really upset. There's a huge conflict, and they were not given a seat. So that the the uh, Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party was not seated uh, at uh, the convention, but the influence that they had later re- really pushed uh, and got a lot of black leaders in Mississippi elected down the road. So they uh, and it basically what happened, I think the long and the short of it is that they forced this rule change that allowed women and minorities to sit as delegates at the convention, which previously they couldn't do. That's which huge. is like crazy huge. Let's you think about that: like women and minorities could not be delegates at the DNC. And, and because they and formed this, is this side the, in party. in the 60s. Yeah. This is 64. Mid-60s. 64. And they forced this rule. And as a result, all of these, suddenly they had delegates and they were allowed to have women and minority delegates. And they finally, finally could get some black folks elected. And this also kind of led this whole, the whole um, MFDP, they call it, Mississippi Democratic party. It led SNCC t- more towards the black power movement and it put them in more of that like black power position. And and Ella started to get less involved with them, but she also kind of was going through some health issues uh, and she's getting like a little bit older, uh, you know, a little bit more up in years at this point. And there was another quote, for, I think from one of her bi- her biographer that said uh, that Ella believed black power was a relief from the stale and unmoving demands and language of the more mainstream civil rights group at this time. Um, and she also Ella apparently she also accepted the turn towards armed self-defense that SNCC made. So that was one shift that did happen in the movement. Was that's like one of the Black Panthers and all that stuff. Like we got to arm ourselves, we got to protect ourselves. And she didn't she didn't speak against it. She was support, she was supportive of it, even though she was a little less involved in the movement overall. So uh, from 1962 to 67, she works on the staff of the Southern Conference Education Fund which promoted interracial desegregation and human rights in the South. Uh, and its goal was to bring back black and white people together work to work for social justice. In 1967, she goes back to New York city. She, she was still super active. She ends up collaborating with Arthur Kenoy to form the mass party organizing committee, which was a socialist organization. She, in 1972, she goes around the country. She supports the free Angela campaign. So Angela Davis, uh, when she was arrested for being a communist, she went around the country and was like helping support her. Although ultimately she didn't really support communis- communism, she she liked um Socialism as an alter, uh, as like an alternative towards of capitalism but she did not really really support the communist movement but she did also support um, she also rallied around the Puerto Rican independence movement and she spoke out against apartheid in South Africa she also worked with the Third World Women's Alliance and the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom and she remained a total 100% activist until her death in 1986 on her 83rd birthday and that is Ella Jo Baker. Who has a full life. I mean, was she abroad?
1: <laughs> oh, hell yeah.
0: <laughs> I love <Yes>. her.
2: <laughs> Most definitely.
0: I love it, like, toe-to-toe with Martin. Like, dude, yeah. dude, cool. check my go? <laughs> the movement's not about that. Can you even? Because he was, like, such this golden god of the period and of the movement that, like, it blows my mind that she did that.
2: Part of me wonders if, if some of that is the white rewriting of history like we were we were taught that martin luther king was like the face of the movement Mm -hmm. but at the same time i also read that only like 30 percent of white people supported him at the time and in general he was like not well liked but, like, we look back and we're like, he was amazing. Mm. And, I'm like, I think white people or white supremacy really, like, grabbed him and said, this is this is how we solved racism. And, look, yeah. he was so, mm-hmm. he was peaceful and he did all these wonderful things. And now it's fixed did, so you I think can get over it. He also just did
0: so many high-profile events. Like, the March on Washington was just so big. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just and got Selma. so much national attention. And Selma. All mm-hmm. of it. So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I have a feeling the more civil rights broads we talk about, the more sides of the the story that we're we're gonna see. Because I'm sure that Ella's and Martin's aren't the only the only stories. You know, mm-hmm. definitely. Well, that is all. Hell yeah! Thanks, Sarah. I love Ella.
2: I am super glad I know she exists.
0: Mm-hmm. Me too. She's great. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you want to support Broads You Should Know, you should leave us a review on iTunes or tell your friends, follow, subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you also can reach out to us on Instagram at broads you should know. Or you can email us at broads you should know at gmail.com. Also, come visit us at broads you should know.com because we actually have um, an online database of all the broads. And you can search through all of these amazing, badass women that we have talked about so far. and. Come uh, get your badass woman fix at broadshouldknow.com.